We come together today to read an old familiar story, and I'm going to ask you to listen with fresh ears. Because this story gets so misconceptualized. We're in the 14th chapter of Matthew. It's often called one of the greatest miracles. Hear these words. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed on shore and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy some food for themselves. Jesus replied, They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. We only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave it to his disciples and they gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, besides the women and children. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Ever equipping God. As I speak, may you increase and I decrease. May the words you have given me for this message be seeds that rest in our hearts that we might bear fruit for you here on earth. May I be bold and courageous in speaking what it is you've given me to speak. And may we as your people have ears that hear. This is our prayer in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. Photobombed. Have you ever been photobombed? Or have you ever photobombed somebody else? Some of you are looking at me like you don't know what photobombed is. You know what happens when we take a picture? We'll take a picture and we'll look at that picture and we'll see the central object of that picture. And we don't pay attention to what's in the background of the picture. You can go on the internet and you can look at several, several pictures that are up there. If you'll go photobombed pictures, if you'll do a search... And you'll see pictures where there's this beautiful couple standing, but in the background there's a goofball going. Or doing something in the background to ruin the picture. And oftentimes, I know a goofball who does that. I do it every chance I can. I try to photobomb somebody in their pictures. In fact, this week I was in Austin with my son, and we had gone down there to move him out of of an apartment, and he and I were going to look at a place, and it We walked around this lake and there were these three girls. They had to be 19, 22, 23 years old. And they all had on those big, beautiful Sunday morning hats, you know, that were straw. And they were dressed nice. And they were posing nicely together and looking at each other. And we had walked the trails and we were behind them. And I was like, son, let's photobomb them. Let's do this in the background. And he was like, dad, behave yourself. (laughs) He doesn't have quite the wild spirit that I do. He's more controlled than I am. But what happens in the text today, I just, I just could imagine after they took their pictures and they got to looking and they're like, oh man, who are those guys in the background? What the heck? Why did they do that to us? 
It's always fun to photobomb somebody, but I think this scripture today is a perfect example of photobombing. Or if you really want to take the word I want to use, I want to say it's miracle bombing. Because a lot of times you can ask people, what's the greatest miracle Jesus ever did? And you know what he says? They'll say, feeding the 5,000. He took the bread and the fish and he fed the 5,000. And there were 12 baskets. I've preached this sermon. And there were 12 baskets to be left over to represent the 12 apostles or to the 12 tribes of Israel. I mean, we can go on and on about the feeding of the 5,000 and what a grandioso event that was and how God just worked in great, great ways and all of those things. And I'm not saying it's not a great event. It was a great event. But God's deeper than that. God doesn't care if you eat at Chick-fil-A or McDonald's and Burger King, wherever you get your nutrition. God cares about you. And if you'll read this text and you'll read the background to this text, you'll understand that though the feeding of the 5,000 is the central focal point, the details of God are found in the background. The very details of your relationship with God are found in the background. Sure, God wants you to have physical nourishment and and have everything you need. But can we look a little deeper into the text? Can we just leave the feeding of the 5,000s alone for a while? Can we just let it set aside and start again? Because the text says this. When he heard the news. He got in a boat and he pushed off. Do you know what he had heard? He had heard that his friend John the Baptist had been beheaded. His close friend, the one who baptized him, had been beheaded. Beheaded by Herod. Jesus was grieving. Jesus was hurting. The humanity of Jesus tells that he was upset and he needed to be away. He knows what grief is. He knows what that emotion of losing a close person to you is. He's been exactly where we are sometimes in our lives. And he needed to get away. This not only depicts the character of God, it depicts the character of humanity. Jesus felt what we feel. He's walked in our shoes. He knows what everyday life as a human being on earth is about. And we have a God who cares for us enough to send a Savior who would experience that life. And while he pushed away out to the lake, here comes the character of humanity, greedy that we are, they followed him, right? The crowds followed him because it was Jesus labeled son of God, miracle worker, healer. There were lots of other people during ancient times who had those same titles. Many of the Caesars called themselves son of God. And he came back to the shore. Can you imagine any of you get away when you feel grief, when you hear bad news? You just need to go breathe some fresh air and you don't need anybody around you and you just need to get away. And he didn't even get to be on the lake. I don't know how long. And he came back and there they were. People. Right? Don't you know he just wanted to say, people. 
Go away. I mean, why weren't the disciples formed a big half circle and saying, y'all go away. Y'all get out of here. Why weren't they protecting him? Because he's of God. And being of God means he cares for God's creation. God cares for us even in the smallest, minute details of our lives. That's the beauty of this whole story. Jesus fighting his own interpersonal grief, struggling with his own relationship with God, struggling with his relationship with humanity, hurting because someone he loved has been killed, comes to the shoreline, and there they are. At the end of the story, you heard how many were there. 5,000 men. Sorry, ladies and children, you don't count in ancient times, so you don't get counted. But there were several, like thousands of several. If there were 5,000 men, you can imagine how many women and children there were. And this is God. Amidst his own personal tragedy, amidst his own deep grief, he came to the shore and he saw the crowd. It would have been easy for him to get out of the boat, walk back up the shore, go back to where he was going and ignore the crowd. God sees us. You hear that? Jesus models who God is and how God cares for us by his reaction when he gets out of the boat. God sees us. God sees us. The text says he saw the crowd. He didn't just scan the crowd. He saw the crowd. And in his seeing, this is what we as people of God need to understand. In his seeing, he took action. How many of us sometimes see situations and we don't do anything about the situation we see? We wait for somebody else to come along and take care of that situation. How many times you're prompted by the Spirit, you see something, the Spirit says do something, and you say, "Mm, not today. The model that God has for us and the God that we love and the God that we serve showed us in Jesus how God acts. God saw the crowd, and you know what happened next? Jesus had compassion. Not empathy, not sympathy. Compassion. Compassion means you have sympathy or pity for someone in their situation and you meet them in that situation. He had compassion out of love for the people. Do you think Jesus knew all 5,000 or 15,000 or 20,000, however many people were gathered? Do you think he knew them all? He saw them. And the Spirit of God moved upon him to have compassion for each of them. And into his body, the Holy Spirit poured and he began to work. People of God, we, we go about our lives every day. I want to tell you, I was just in Austin, Texas And Austin, Texas has changed since the last time I was down there. Traveling down I-35, on the access roads of I-35, there are communities now of tents. Homeless people in tents. 
I'm not going to say they're homeless. They're sheltered in their tents under the underpasses. Hundreds. Hundreds of people. And my heart went out to them, but I, I don't know what to do. Except pray for them. And, and really, I don't know what to pray for them except that God see them. And God have mercy on them. But what I see is that a growing need of humanity... Something is wrong with our systems that humanity is having to live under tents in our highway system. We, the people of God, need to learn to have compassion, not selfishness, but compassion. That's what Jesus did when he saw the 5,000, when he saw the 5,000 men, not counting all their families and their kids. He had compassion, not empathy or sympathy. He had compassion. And he acted. I was in Austin for three days. And I struggled every time I drove I-35. Every time. God, what do we do? God, what do we do? How do we make a difference? What can we do? How, How does this happen in our society? That we allow humanity to be degraded so much that they live in tents under the highway system. How do we let mental illness go that that far? Where's our care systems? We, the people of God, have a responsibility to love one another. It's what Jesus did. He had compassion on them. And do you know what the next part of the text says? This is where the miracle comes. Hang on if you haven't read it. He healed them. Healed them. 5,000 men, wives... And kids, not counted. I don't know about you, but I'm lucky to interact in four or five people's life a day. How many do you interact in every day? Whose life's changed because you saw them yesterday? That you allowed yourself to enter into their situation and have compassion on them. And share the love of God with them. Jesus walked into a crowd. He had been out grieving his own personal grief. And he came back and there were 5,000 men plus wives and kids gathered on the shoreline to greet him. And he had compassion on them. Most of us would do like I do when I drove to, drive down I-35. You throw up your hands because you're overwhelmed with the size of the problem at hand. But not Jesus. One person at a time. One person at a time. He met them where they were. Isn't that all God asks of us? Is to love God and love others? To have compassion on others and meet them where they are? He met them spiritually where they are. And he took care of what chronic life problem they had. I don't know. Excuse me, I don't know if they were blind, if they were crippled, if they were mentally ill. I don't know what was wrong with each person he healed. I don't know if they had leprosy. I I don't know. But I know the text says this. Jesus had compassion and he healed the sick. Now, you want a broad definition? The sick? Look around humanity today. Anybody that's not normal like you, sometimes we classify them as sick, right? Right? If they're not like us, that person must be sick. 
They don't think like us, that person must be sick. They don't walk like us, that person must be sick. They don't root for the Cowboys, that person has to be sick. They don't root for Texas, that person has to be sick. Right? Isn't that what we do? We, we classify people. We've got an election coming up. We're gonna, humanity is dividing right and left. And God wants us to be together. And it's our responsibility to follow the model of our Savior. To walk into people's life and have compassion with them. A word will heal. A hug will heal. A prayer will heal. Presence will heal. Because God fills us when we allow ourselves to be compassionate people. Jesus healed. Healed the sick of a crowd of 15 20, I don't know, thousand. He took care of their spiritual, spiritual being. Whether it be mental illness or physical ailments, he healed them and made them good. Think about that. Jesus didn't care what was in their bellies. Jesus didn't care where they lived. Jesus cared about their person. How many of us are so sick spiritually we can't even get close to Jesus? That we won't let God in? Much less go and be Jesus to somebody else. We don't even let God in. Because all we want to do is eat the food. Find the shelter. We want God to take care of us. But we won't even let God know our spiritual side. The miracle got photobombed. It got miracle bombed because the work of Jesus far in the beginning outweighed the work of Jesus in feeding the 5,000. God will always, always take care of us spiritually and heal us of our illness before God ever puts a Big Mac in front of us. I struggled all week. Had a blast with my wife and my son. But I struggled. My spirit was wrestling. What do we do? What do we do? How do we, how do we fix this problem? And finally, an opportunity showed itself. About this big. But it was an opportunity. We were leaving the hotel. And there was a man who looked like he had been living in the hotel. You know those carts, those valet carts where you can put your luggage on? He had two of those piled up with stuff, including a bicycle and other things. I mean, stuff was hanging off of it. And he was trying to get through some doors. Guess what I got to do? I got to hold the door. I got to hold the door and help him push a cart through and help him get it to his car so that he could put the stuff in his car. To me, it was relief. It was relief from seeing all of the, all of the stuff, the oppression 
that somewhere we got to help somebody else. And folks, it's something as small as that. You should have seen the smile on his face. When I grabbed one of the carts, I held the door and I helped pull the last cart through the door. And then I took one of the carts and he took one of the carts and we pushed him to his car. His smile could not stop. We both had masks on. We couldn't see each other's face. And his words were, thank you. I didn't know how I was going to do that. A simple act. Putting our life on hold for just a moment to help somebody else. And it may be that you need to buy somebody a meal. It may be that you need to feed somebody or house somebody. But what God's really asking you to do, be alive in the background. Get involved in the person. See the person for who the person is and act accordingly into their lives. Represent the gospel in people's lives as you encounter this in this day. Someone asked me, how do we continue it again this week? How do we continue to be church? We live into the gospel. Just like Jesus lived into the gospel. Our God knows us. He knows our pain. He knows our suffering. He also knows our opportunities. And God will sustain us by the power of the Holy Spirit that we might have compassion and act when an opportunity arises. So this week, go. Go. Wherever you are, whomever you're around, whatever small group it may be, see beyond the subject. Look into the background and see where it is. You can have compassion and love others as you have been loved. Amen and amen.